All right. For our second scripture text this morning, we're reading the Old Testament, the word from uh, the prophet Isaiah. Uh, and this lovely anthem we had from the choir, thank you. It reminded all of us to shout to the Lord our praise. Our Old Testament text uh, begins similarly, only in this case, it's God speaking to the prophet and telling the prophet uh, to shout as well. So I invite you to listen uh, for the word that the Lord has for us this morning. Isaiah 58, verses 1 to 12. Shout out loud, hold nothing back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Announce to my people their rebellion, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet day after day they seek me and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that practiced righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why do we fast, but you do not see? Why humble ourselves, but you do not notice? Look, you serve your own interest on your fast day and oppress all your workers. Look, you fast only to quarrel and fight and to strike with a wicked fist. Such fasting as you do today will not make your voice heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose, a day to humble oneself? Is it to bow down the head like a bulrush and to lie in a sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose? to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked, to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin. Then your light shall break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up quickly. Your vindicator shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry for help, and God will say, Here I am. If you remove the yoke from among you, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of evil, if you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom be like the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your needs in parched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters never fail. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall rise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach the restorer of streets to live in. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Note to self, if you begin a children's time letting them take all these little cards, then they're going to want to play with them and trade them while you're talking and may not pay as much attention. I do know to pass things out at the end of children's time, but apparently that escaped my notice today. Let us pray. Oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Oh God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. 
where the story of the ancient Israelites picks up in our scripture reading today, they have finally come home after 70 years in exile in Babylon. They return to their homeland, excited to finally be home and find it devastated. The temple where they worship destroyed, many of the homes destroyed, many things burned to cinders from all those years ago. After waiting so long, thinking what bliss it would be to be home again, it turns out that home is completely different from their memories. The people are facing a spiritual crisis. Although they worship together, saying all the right things, performing all the long-established rituals, their behavior is a contradiction to their faith. Maybe you have encountered people whose way of living seems at odds with what they profess to believe. Perhaps, like I have, you've encountered someone who peppers their sentences with phrases like, praise the Lord and thank you, Jesus, and yet live in selfish, greedy, angry, or hurtful ways, seemingly oblivious that they are giving people a reason to think that other Christians must be hypocrites too. Well, the prophet Isaiah is sent from God to help the Israelites see that worshiping God is more than just going through the motions. If it isn't tied to acts of love and justice and mercy, it doesn't mean so much. You and I surely have had times when our behavior contradicts our faith doing or saying something that is anything but a reflection of God's love. Thank goodness that we, like all people, are precious to God, and we know that we are offered forgiveness and those new beginnings that I mentioned to the children. I can't imagine how many times in a day I need a new start. The time that this scripture reading really hit home for me, the thing I think about every time I read it, was when I was working with Christian peacemaker teams in the West Bank. Now let me preface what I'm going to share with you by saying that the long years of conflict between Israelis and Palestinians in the Middle East are not solely the fault of one side or the other. Both have done atrocious things, both have had people trying to make inroads in peace. There's plenty of blame to go around, many innocent people who have died, as well as people who are trying to make a difference. Today, I'm talking only about experiences I had in the West Bank. One of the primary things our group was there to do was to accompany Palestinian children to school. You see, the city of Hebron and the nearby hills of the village of Atuani, in those places there were extremist Israeli settlers who were considered in defiance of Israeli law to be there. They had been stoning and shooting at the Palestinian children who were just trying to walk to school. Unfortunately, the settlements have been built in places where you can't get to school or much other, much, many other places without passing near them. We just lost the lights. Children were not as likely to be hit when we were there because the settlers didn't want any of what they were doing to get back to the United States. The Israeli soldiers assigned to the West Bank, who are generally young and newly trained, are, of course, told to support only their people, even 
the violent settlers. A group called Breaking the Silence is made up of former Israeli soldiers who came home from their assignment in the West Bank and are horrified by what they had to do there. One of them told me how his commander had ordered him and another soldier to sit quietly in their tank in Ramallah long enough that children would be curious and start trying to crawl up on the tank because once they did that, they were allowed to shoot them. This kind of order was borne out right in front of me one day. I was taking a picture of two children walking up the path in front of what seemed to be an abandoned tank. And just, just as I clicked the picture, the tank started up and started to chase them. Although I thought I had certainly captured the peaceful shot because as soon as I saw it, I dropped the camera. As soon as I saw it, I put my hand up to say stop. And the tank did. I think it had no intention of running over those children. It, they just wanted to scare them. That seemed to happen a lot in the West Bank, trying to scare not only the older people and everybody else, but especially the children so that they would grow up in that fear. I decided not to show you the picture I took of those children because it happened to be that it happened so fast, the pictures of them running with terror in their eyes. That was too much to show you, but I will show you one of the many pictures that I took of soldiers pointing their guns at Palestinian children for no reason, just because they were walking down the street. The idea is to make them afraid. Random home demolitions were carried out on a regular basis with some Palestinian families rebuilding again and again. I worked with a group of regular non-extremist Israelis and a group called ICOD, the Israeli Committee Against Home Demolitions, that tries to stop it. Our group also walked through the streets aware that the presence of people from the United States simply witnessing what was going on was enough to make the soldiers stop roughing up elderly men and harassing women and invading homes just so they could take them over. One day our team decided to put up a sign on one of the gates. So many locked gates have been erected throughout Hebron that it can take you an hour to get somewhere that should take you 10 minutes. They block people from their neighbors, from their schools, even from their jobs. Our group put up a sign on a gate that said in Hebrew and in Arabic and in English, open the gates, O the Lord. And we have a picture of that. Or we should. Here we go. This is after we finished singing and talking and one of the young Palestinian teenagers was looking at the sign, later came to thank us. But as we were there, as we put up the sign and we sang songs, I was then the one to read this scripture from Isaiah 58, reading it out loud. And as I started to read it, we had four or five soldiers right close to us pointing guns at us. They didn't say anything, but the threat was there. But as I read, I began to see tears in the eyes of almost every soldier there. 
And when I finished reading the scripture, one by one, they put down their guns and they moved on. I don't know if we made much of a difference to anybody other than some people knowing we were there and we cared and some soldiers who maybe were able to reflect a little bit on their faith. You see, the scripture we read is from their scriptures. And most faithful Jewish people abide by those scriptures, even as most Christians try to abide by them as well. And so those soldiers were faced with that dilemma, that inconsistency between what they believed and what they had been doing. Whenever I find myself using words or actions that are clearly inconsistent with loving God or neighbor, I'm taken back to those red-cheeked, tear-stained faces of those very young soldiers. The prophet Isaiah points out to his people that even though they are all hurting, having been conquered in exile and now coming home to a devastated homeland, they are falling into the same disturbing patterns that they saw in Babylon. Some gaining power and position by keeping others down, with those more fortunate ignoring the ones who are, who are starving or living in the streets, fighting with each other, blaming each other, blaming God. When the prophet Isaiah talks about justice, he's not talking about what comes to our 21st century minds. It's not about the justice of the legal system. He's talking about a willingness to extend ourselves, to get our hands dirty, to make a real effort to meet the basic human needs, human needs of others in the community. The Old Testament prophets usually talked about justice in these terms, calling on people in power not to exploit but to support others in their needs, to empower them with rights and dignity that would enable them to be full participants in community life. Isaiah is reminding them that you can't separate worship from a life of such justice and compassion in which you protect and provide for the most vulnerable around you. The prophet sharing God's message talks about a kind of fast that is most desirable to God. And though it has nothing to do with the kind of fasting we're thinking about, refraining from eating food, the fasting the prophet talks about is fasting from injustice. It's about developing a deeper understanding of how God wants us to live with one another in the world. Look, you serve your own interest on your fast day and oppress all your workers. You fast only to quarrel and to fight and to strike with a wicked fist. Isn't the fast that I choose different? To loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke, or as we might say today, to break every chain. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house, when you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin. About 700 years later, when Jesus gives his very first sermon, he unrolls the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because God has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. God has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to let the oppressed go free. Jesus has come to do all of those things and to ask them 
and us to do them too. Jesus, who is the light of the world, calls us to bring the light of God's love to the darkest places of our world. There is so much struggling and suffering out there that it can be overwhelming. What can you and I possibly do? But an old Asian proverb says it is better to light one candle than to curse at the darkness. We can begin by letting God's light into our hearts. Day by day, asking God for guidance and following the path of Christ. We open our eyes to the suffering and then we do whatever we can. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine. It's tempting to spiritualize the demand Jesus gives us, to stop at the edge of our prayers and not do any more. But God didn't give us the light of the Spirit to hide it away. The gift of God's light is meant to be shared. Acting with compassion and mercy, loving those that we don't want to love, these are images, these are things that are life-giving. It seems to me that I've too often heard Jesus' words about letting your light shine diminish to something as simplistic as, let people see your gifts, don't be shy about it. Yet when you put Jesus' words next to something like our text from Isaiah or next to the cross, we see the raw power, the amazing responsibility to which you and I are called. At the very least, we need to offer healing instead of adding to the pain in the world. A rabbi once created a story to help explain this. He told it to his granddaughter, who later wrote about it and even had a children's book about it. The story goes like this. In the beginning, there was only darkness, and the world emerged out of that darkness as a great ray of light. And then there was an accident, and the vessels containing the light of the world, the wholeness of the world, broke. And the wholeness and light were scattered into a thousand fragments of light, and they fell into all events and all people where they remain deeply hidden until this very day. The whole human race is a response to this accident. We are here because we were born with the capacity to find the hidden light, to lift it up and make it visible once again, and thereby to restore the innate wholeness of the world. And this is, of course, a collective task and involves all people who have ever been born, all people presently alive, all people yet to be born. We are all healers of the world. And that story opens a sense of possibility. It's not about healing the world by making a huge difference. It's about healing the world that touches you. The man who told that story to the woman who shared that story was her grandfather, who was a rabbi. Our Isaiah text doesn't end in gloom and doom, but in hope. If you care for others, if you do what you can to lift up those around you, to have compassion on those in need, to stop putting anger and negativity out into the world, if you stop gossiping and blaming and speaking evil and ignoring people's needs, then your light will rise in the darkness. You shall be like a water garden, like a spring of water whose waters never fail. Since the prophet is speaking from the arid landscape of the Middle East, his words remind us that God can bring abundant life in the midst of what appears to be death. God gives us that new life and we give it to each other. 
We aren't expected to change the whole world, but we can offer that new life to those around us. Having known the grace of God, we pass it on. Compared to God's light, we are only little sparks, but we are the sparks that people can see and touch and hear. There's an old hymn I used to sing when I went to vacation Bible school as a child, and I love the chorus of it. The darkness shall turn to dawning, and the dawning to noonday bright, and Christ's great kingdom shall come on earth, the kingdom of love and light. Amen.